Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Lindsay and I had our uh, anniversary a couple weeks ago, and so I've been trying to get better at giving gifts. It's one of my, one of my things I'm trying to do, and so about a month beforehand, I said, that may be generous, about a week beforehand, I started thinking about <clears throat> what I was going to get her, and I was trying to pay attention to the clues that she was sending me, you know, the messages she was sending me, and then I got it. I knew that this was the thing that she needed. So I ordered, I even talked to a guy who's kind of an expert in these things to make sure I got the right one and I got it and I gave it to her on our anniversary. I was just so proud. So for our anniversary, I got her a pair of binoculars and I thought, I thought that was the best possible gift that I could give her. Um, And, but that's, that's actually why we were at the marriage retreat this weekend. But I know, okay, she's loved the binoculars, all right? In fact, we were out with some friends the other night and they were giving me grief for giving her binoculars for our anniversary. But, you know, as Lindsay and I are getting older, uh, one of the things that we, we have found that we enjoy doing is, is watching birds, which is so nerdy, just to say it out loud. <clears throat> so old. Um, but we, we've got some, you know, birds in our backyard that we're, Kind of wanted to see, and she's always out there looking. Like, I wish I could see that. We got this red-shouldered hawk that's nesting in a pine tree in the back of our yard, and so she's always out there squinting. So she was sending me the clues that she wanted: binoculars. <clears throat> so, anyways, we come back from that dinner where our friends are giving me grief, and the first thing she does is walk into the backyard with those binoculars. Okay, there's something. I'm not recommending that as an anniversary gift, but there's something that does appeal to us, right? About being able to look into the distance and see something that's kind of blurry up close and in detail, right? And that's what we're going to try to do together today. What we're going to try to do, I have been preaching about this summer, this church's vision, we believe is from the Lord for 2028, which is to build up the next generation. This is what I'm going to share with you today is, is coming from your shepherds, Okay, I'm going to share the benchmarks, the five benchmarks of that vision. And so the way you may think about it is we're kind of looking into the distance at this kind of distant vision that we think God is calling us to. And we're going to today like pick up the binoculars and we're going to see it more clearly. What's it going to look like if we make it to this, to this vision? Now, <clears throat> let me back up a second. Just lay the groundwork. I think some people, when they hear a church has a vision, they, they think that sounds like a like corporate speak. It sounds like something that a business would do or a school would do. Before there were businesses or schools, though, the way God guided his people was pretty simple. He would give them a vision. Look at this. This is in Genesis 15. We've been looking at the story of Abraham and his descendants in Genesis all summer long and actually going back into the spring. Look at this. This is how the story starts. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a what? A vision. 
don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your very great reward. So as you pursue this vision that I've put out in front of you in the distance, as you head towards that, I'm going to be with you. If you go to Hebrews 11, we looked at that a few weeks ago. You've got one hero of faith after another following Abraham. And what's the truth about all of them? The author continues to make this clear. They didn't kind of experience something up close. They pursued something that was distant, a distant heavenly country, the author calls it. And they just went after that. Even though they couldn't see it clearly, they just headed towards it. That's what it means to have faith. Maybe you've you've heard that King James version of Proverbs 29, that without vision, people perish. Have you ever heard that? That probably is something you've heard at your business, right? But let me me just show you this in the message. I love this translation of it, because this is what we're after here. Look what it says. If people can't see what God is doing, so the vision that he gives them, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. So one of the central promises of what it means to be a person of God is you discern God's will, you pursue it, and he blesses you. And that's what we're after as a church. So let me give you just a little bit more background. We're going to jump into the benchmarks. You might think about the responsibility of leading a church as twofold. And I'm I'm speaking on behalf of your shepherds right now. One thing they're doing is they're always looking around them. So looking at what's up close, the people all around them to see what they need, how they can serve those people. Okay, but that would not be the whole job. In fact, that would fall short that the whole job is not only to pay attention to those people around you, but also to look in the distance and discern what is God calling us to. I'll tell you, we were doing that. We were you know, binoculars on, looking down range, and then something happened to us that happened to the rest of the world, and it was COVID-19. And suddenly, it didn't make any sense to still have binoculars on your face, right? You remember how many plans you canceled in 2020? All the things that you were going to do and then you didn't get to do? That was us as a church too. Okay, so we shifted from long range. We put the binoculars down, and then we just began to pay attention to everybody around us here in, in, in this, the body of Christ here at Highland. What did they need? And we came up with two short-term visions. Do you remember this? The first of those was that we charge you to be church. This was back when we were still virtual only. We weren't even coming together in person. And the idea was, you'll remember this, even if you can't go to church, you're still supposed to be the church. And this is how you can do that. Okay, it was a short-term vision for the time of COVID. And then this last year, as COVID was still going on, and I know it's still out there, we rolled out My Part, God's Plan, which was an effort to get you connected, not only to the church, but to the larger gospel story. This is still guiding my preaching for the year, and in three weeks, we're turning to My Part out of the book of Acts. But it was an effort to get you reconnected, because where? Where'd you been? Kind of away, right? All of us. So we're coming back together, finding our part in what God's doing here at this church, But during the last year of COVID, your elders began to look long range again. And they believe that what God is calling us to is to build up the next generation. And they have anchored that vision in two passages. Come with me to Psalm 78 and then Ephesians 4. Let me look at this with you. Psalm 78. My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things hidden, things from of old, things we have heard and known. Why? Because they were things our ancestors told us. 
We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors. So that's the instruction. He commanded our ancestors to teach that to their children. So, pay attention, the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, so their children, and that they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and they would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Leave that last slide right there for just a second. When I preached on this a couple months ago, remember what I said. I don't know if a better sentence has ever been written that describes our world today than that one. You see that? So in the same psalm where he offers a description of the problem, people have lost their bearing or understanding of God and therefore their lives have been ruined. In the same psalm where he offers a description, he offers the prescription. What's the solution? If God's people tell the next generation about God, we're good. That's what it takes. So come with me to Ephesians 4. He uses different language to describe the same thing. He uses this language of building up. It's one of the most important words in the whole New Testament. So Christ himself, so this isn't from us, this is from Christ. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the point. Until he's going to describe what it means for the body to be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's how Psalm 78 ends, just like that. Instead, because we've been built up, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. For Him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay. So we believe that God is calling us to build up, that's the language, the next generation. And that it's only going to work, as Paul says at the end of Ephesians 4, if each part does its work, that's you. So we believe there's five benchmarks. So as we focus in on this distant vision, and it comes into focus, there's five benchmarks for this vision from your shepherds. I want to share them today. The first is that we endeavor or we commit to disciple 400 young people and 200 disciple makers and to mature disciples of Christ by 2028. Okay, let me add just a little caveat here. There's going to be numbers associated with each of these goals. The numbers aren't magical. They represent us desiring to do more and better. But if you make more and better your goal, you know what you do? you never do it. It's like, I'm going to lose weight versus I'm going to lose 10 pounds. You see the difference? So these represent goals. We're going to disciple 400 young people and raise up 200 disciple makers 
into mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me say one of the worst things we could do as a church. If we absolutely just failed our calling as the body of Christ, you know what it would be? Is if we produced nice young people who um, did kind things for people around them, uh, who were respectful to their parents for the most part, who had good jobs, but who did not know who they were, did not know who God was, and did not know why they should do the good things they're doing. That would be one of the biggest failures for us as a church. That would, in some ways, that would be like a nice sports car without any gas. Like the, the, the power that makes that kind of life possible is gone if you don't know who you are, who God is, or why you should do what you should do. We're talking about discipleship in these three terms. That I need to, we're calling it be, know, and do. Okay, so who am I? What's the truth? And how should I live my life? I was sharing this with Smith Hopkins, our church planner at Oikos. He said, Eric, that's really good, but I feel like you're missing the who. You're missing the who. Who are my people? I was like, ah, he's right. You know, we, we know that one of the biggest indicators of whether a young peace person will hold on to their faith is if they have relationships with people outside their immediate family in the church, particularly older people who are pouring into them. And that's where the 200 disciple makers comes in. Did you know that Barna, which is a Christian research organization, reports that adults today are twice as likely as they were just 10 years ago to say that they're lonely. So think about what's happened in the last 10 years. What do you have in your phone, in your pocket, smartphone? Which makes us never alone in private and always alone in public. Think about that. As you're around a bunch of people, what are you doing? You're never having real connection with other people. And so think about it. Is there a connection between the rise of our isolation and the decline of our faith? with young people. Okay, so we're not going to let that happen anymore. Our goal is to, to partner those would-be disciples, those young people that we are raising up, building up with disciple makers who are equipped and love them, who will love them into Jesus Christ. So you might think about it like this. You're, we're going to be, know, who, and do, okay? Be, who am I? Know, what's the truth? Who, who are my people? And do, how shall I live my life? It's the be no who do. And so you're going to remember that. The be no who do. All right. uh, the author of Hebrews, he doesn't have something as clever as be no who do, but look at how he puts it here. Look, he, he partners all that up. Look at this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's the who, the people around us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's the do or the B, right? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So as we seek or endeavor to disciple these young people, we commit that we will not do it. With, um, let me say that again. We will not let them be alone, and we will not do it without Jesus. We're not going to give them like Jesus and other stuff, like they need to know their Enneagram number, right? We're going to do Jesus, more of Jesus, less of other stuff. And we're not going to let them be alone. All right. We got to move on. Oh my goodness. Some people just love to hear themselves talk. I just got to move on. 
Number two, the second benchmark. Okay, we're going to work back upstream. That equipping is primarily focused on probably young people who are nearing the end of their youth group experience, college age or young adult, so 20s. That's where that discipleship is probably focused as we, we seek to push them into maturity. But what we know is working back upstream, that the real responsibility of discipleship starts before you walk in the church building. Where does it start? In the family. It starts with the parents. We believe that the parent is the primary disciple maker of their child, and yet we know that many of us as parents feel ill-equipped to disciple our own children because we live in a world where you outsource everything for your kids. You want them to be a good athlete? You sign them up for a sports team. You want them to learn things? You send them to school. I'm all for those things. But let me give you an example. I was a baseball coach. I've been a baseball coach several times. On one of those teams, I had a boy on my team whose dad played professional baseball, and I was the kid's coach. Okay? Uh, for the record, that kid was really good. But I was the kid's coach. Let me, I filled in for our church softball team twice, and they never called me again. But we live in a world where you outsource everything. But what do we know biblically? Look at this. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. Build them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's the parent's responsibility first. But what we know as parents and talking to parents here is that a lot of us feel ill-equipped to disciple our own kids. In fact, that's why we're here. Right? That's why we're here. I'll tell you, parenting is hard. Uh, I pray some specific passages over each of my three boys each morning. One of those is for self-control, one of those is for boldness, and one of those is for patience. I'm not going to tell you which I'm praying what for, but if you know my kids, you know already. It's hard. Paul says it like this. Look at what Paul says. He wasn't a parent, but he gets it. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's how hard it is to want Christ formed in somebody. It's like childbirth. It's hard. And so we equip or we, we endeavor or we commit to equip 200 parents here to disciple their kids. And we're working on that right now. We're getting started. All right, come with me to number three. I've got to move on. We commit or endeavor to support 20 foster care placements and 10 adoptions over the next six years. <clears throat> I said this a few weeks ago. Long before the recent decision on Roe versus Wade was made, this church cared deeply for vulnerable children. And long after that decision is made, we're going to continue to care for vulnerable children. Because we believe this isn't just the calling of this church, we believe it's the calling of every church that cares seriously about discipleship, that when you are discipling people, inevitably what they're going to do is care for vulnerable kids. Look at this. Look at what James says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see the, the pairing of discipleship and care for vulnerable children. Okay. Come back in two weeks. We're going to share a story about our uh, most recent adoption. You won't want to miss it, and you might want to bring tissues. It's going to be really good. But we commit. We're praying right now okay, about two boys currently at this church being fostered, one boy who's about to be adopted, 
one young lady who was just adopted, and one young lady who might soon be in foster care of a family here at Highland. And we pray that God will raise up more families who would care for vulnerable kids. So it's not just we're caring for the next generation across the board. We're going to hone in also and care for vulnerable and overlooked members of the next generation. So that brings me to the next, to the next one. We endeavor or we commit to incorporate 30 new families with special needs into the body of Christ at Highland over the next six years. Okay. <clears throat> now, I say care for orphans is something every church should do. We believe this one is something that's specific to what God is calling this church to do. Now, we would love for every other church to do that, but we have a burden for this. Let me tell you about this. For years, we have had members of this family with special needs, and I want to own from the pulpit, we have underserved them. We've underserved them. And they, by their graciousness, have stuck it out with us. But we have learned through talking with them, through study and conversation with others, that church is one of the hardest places to be if you have a child with special needs. One of the hardest places to be. A couple of years ago, Hannah Thrasher, one of our youth ministers, presented to our elders in a staff and elder meeting work that she was doing related to special needs in our youth ministry and what we could do as a church to grow in our ministry to those with special needs. And I'll tell you, Hannah was presenting that and it was silent in there. When we finished that presentation, there was just this long, silent pause, and Jeff Frizzell, one of our shepherds, said, Guys, I think we need to stop and pray about this. And we did. And since then, it has been clear to your shepherds that God is calling us to do more for those families and more for those people. So, in the years since, we hired a trained special needs ministry director, Nicole Curlin, who is awesome, just doing great We've opened an on-site sensory room, which is a place where our friends with special needs can go and decompress if stuff kind of overwhelms them. Developed a buddy system with trained volunteers for Sunday morning and a Sunday morning worship time for those with special needs. I've been told to tell you we need more volunteers. We need more volunteers for that. If you want to help with that, let me know and I'll connect you with our ministers who are doing that. that, that. We have um, taught about special needs and our faith here. We've hosted the Tim Tebow event, Night to Shine, twice. We've now finished our second special needs VBS, and we have endowed financially in ministry to those with special needs, okay? One of my favorite moments, oh my goodness, run out of time. One of my favorite moments from special needs VBS was this, uh, this young boy, he's seven or eight years old, and um, he's in a wheelchair, he's nonverbal, but he was at special needs VBS, and he was partnered with a teenager in our youth group. And he's 15-ish, somewhere around there. And uh, the whole week, I just watched him just gently roll around, this young man, and he would get overwhelmed if it was loud. And we did our, our best to kind of keep the volume down for that crowd. But every once in a while, just with excitement, there'd be shrieking and laughter. And I'd see that little boy, and he'd get up, and he'd roll him off to the side to a quiet corner, and then he'd just sit by him. And he would talk, and I watched him one time just talk with this young man for 30 minutes. Just 30 minutes. Just talking to this boy who probably doesn't get talked to by so many other people in his life with the exception of his family. And this boy just said, just pouring into him, and I was like, this is heaven. You know, what's happened? That, 
that boy is being built up. And because of that, he wants to bless somebody who means the world to God. That's what's happening. So we want to do more for that community. Whew, I got to stop talking about that. And we hope to bring in 30 new families with special needs. I'll tell you one last thing, sorry. My son, every Sunday, sits at a table in Miss Michelle's first grade class with a young boy who has Down syndrome. There is nothing I love more about my son coming to church than that he's at that table with that boy in Miss Michelle's class. Right? That that's normal. Okay. We want that to be even more so here. All right. Lastly, number five, we endeavor or we commit, it's the fifth of the benchmarks, to plant a next generation focused church every two years and to raise up two new next generation missionaries by 2028. All right. Um, do you want to know what keeps you young? At least biblically speaking, what keeps you young biblically speaking is have kids. Okay, practically speaking, that's what's aging me. Lindsay found three gray hairs on my head the other day, and she texted our whole extended family pictures of the gray hairs on my head. And I'll tell you, it's because I have those kids. That's what's aging me. But think about Abraham and Sarah. They were the age of this church when they started having kids. They would tell you the way to stay young is to have kids. What those who think about the life cycle of a church will tell you is that a church is heading towards its end when it passes the age of reproduction. So when a church stops discipling young people, stops planting churches, and stops sending out missionaries, it's on its way to death. When it stops doing all those things and begins to look only inward, that's when a church dies. Now, you who've been here in Memphis a long time, think about how many churches you know, maybe you grew up in, that don't exist anymore. Okay, when we stop giving birth is when we're heading towards our end. Let me tell you something. We planted a church not long ago, the Oikos Church, about a year ago. That is a hard thing to do. You know, it costs a lot of money. We parted with people that we love dearly and we sent them there and blessed them. And I'll tell you what, that was hard to do. I stayed up late at night just anxious about that. Some people dearly close to me who went to be in that church. And that was tough to do that. And let me tell you, we have not experienced a season of blessing at Highland in recent memory like we have this last year when we planted that church. Okay, why is that? When we pursue the vision God gives us, when we invest our resources in expanding his kingdom, what's he going to do? He's going to bless us. Right? I'd like to say my reasons for planning a church were entirely altruistic, but it was selfish. I desperately craved the blessing and presence of God here. And so I believe when we step out in faith and continue to reproduce, we are going to experience that blessing and favor. Look at this. This is in... Uh, Matthew 28, we'll end with this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what's the promise? Then surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray as we wrap up here. We're going to pray over these five benchmarks. Let me pray over you and dis dismiss you. God, we believe that this vision is from you. We'll admit, God, that we are human and 
our ability to always see clearly what you're calling us to is it's just flawed and limited. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, at this point we see through a glass darkly. And yet, God, our desire is to pursue what you are calling us to. To faithfully step out in boldness. To sacrifice for each part in this room, each part watching online to do its part in this work that we might get to where you're calling us. We, be, we believe, God, if we will head in the direction that you're calling us, that you will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. Make us faithful to this vision, God. Make us generous, gracious, committed. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.